Man, I'm just excited, and I'm excited because today is um, Arise, so the next few weeks. Now, some of you, probably most of you, hopefully, know what Arise is, and uh, and, and and if not, you're, you're going to get educated, and that's okay, but um, we are celebrating one year into a 24-month initiative called Arise, where we as a church said, hey, we want to arise from status quo religiosity, from, from the norm of all all that we see, and we want to trust God as never before. We want to step out as never before. And, and we looked at, at a church and said, okay, at, at, for our church, I said, God, what, what do you want to accomplish through our church in the next 24 months? And so we looked at that. And uh, we put together a, a budget and a plan, and 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 so we launched that last year, and it's been a phenomenal year. In fact, I want to call your attention to to there's a there's a packet we did one per family, um, but but uh, it, it's there. It's got a few things in. it. I'm going to walk through really quickly so you can follow along. Uh, this bifolded print piece kind of gives you the overview of Arise. By the way, all of this is online. It's also on the app. If you go to mypathway.church or you get on the app, you can click arise and it has everything from last year it has all the all the all the video bumpers testimonies um, has all the messages that we preached in the series last year has all the life group curriculum and if you want to go through the life group curriculum we have the books available and you're welcome to go through that if your life group wants to do that again as a refresher we're all for it um, but uh, this kind of sums it up and we said hey uh, for us to do everything that God's called us to do as far as expanding our reach trying to reach more people um, trying to, to establish more of a stronghold in this area spiritually. Uh, God's given us property at what we call the north gate of the city, North 259. Uh, if you've driven by it this week, you can see now they're knocking trees down on the 259 side of the road, so you can actually see uh, the back of the line is, uh, the back of the ground where the building is actually cleared, and they're going to start grading it um, this week, and so is weather cooperating. And so we're making great progress on all of that. They're, they're making great time. Uh, we are waiting on the permit so we can build the bridge. So, so we're we're having to work on both sides of of the creek. And so, um, but it'd be really pretty when we're done. And about forty days, we'll be able to build our bridge and and have a road. But anyways, uh, so we're working all that. But this gives you the overview of what we said um, that we want to rise for our families and our community and even for our world. And and so we have been working on that. And our number that we actually needed uh, was about eleven point two million for twenty four months. And, uh, and we had 500000 on hand, so we needed about $10.7 million. And you can see what all of that was. And so we took our, brought our church together and said, hey, we want to arise together. It's the largest step of faith we as a church have, have really ever taken. It's, it seems, quite honestly, from, from my perspective, uh, it seems impossible. Um, and I'm okay with that. It's not improbable. It's just impossible. Uh, improbable would be an upgrade. Are you with me? And so, um, but I'm okay with that because we feel like this is what God's called us to do. And, uh, and God so far has been faithful and given us everything uh, that we need. And this, this year we're on, if you would, maybe the home stretch, but we really have to see God as never before. And so we ask our family to take us, uh, our, our families to take a step of faith with us in this. And, and that was to launch out and make commitments to arise. And, um, 
And uh, many did. And we have seen so many different wins uh, over over the last year um, that, that it's been tremendous. In fact, let me, let me give you some of the wins really quickly. I made notes of them, but some of the wins. We have 164 families that have given for the first time uh, through the Arise Initiative. And we celebrate. Can you celebrate 164 families giving for the first time? Now, if you're sitting here wondering, well, why do we, why do we celebrate that? Because giving is a part of our discipleship. And I think a lot of people don't understand how these are connected. Sometimes they think reading the Bible is a part of discipleship, and it is, being a life group. Uh, but giving is a huge part of our, in fact, I would say the greatest three catalysts that you have to your own uh, growth and transformation and development, your own discipleship is, uh, is giving and, and serving and being in uh, a life group. And when, when you study that biblically, you're going to see that when I serve, I, I look like Jesus because Jesus was the servant. How did he change the world? By serving. He, he came not to be served, he said, but to serve and give his life. And so Jesus beat the devil with a towel. And sometimes we miss this, that victory in our lives comes through serving. And, vi- and serving is what makes us look like Jesus. And, and then being in, a, the Bible says we grow in relationships. Uh, we're broken in relationships. We grow in relationships. That's our life groups, right? And, and then giving. And you say, well, giving is not a part of discipleship. It's the biggest part, and I'll tell you why. Because you can't look like God until you learn to give. Because God is all, like the verb of the Bible, the verb of the Bible is give. And people think it's love, but love is the motive. But giving is what saved us. You, you understand, had God loved us and not given, we would all be lost. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God is always giving. And if you want to look like God, you have to learn to give. And, and if it, listen, if giving weren't, weren't such a big deal, why is it so challenging for us to trust God in our finances? Because isn't it challenging? It is challenging to trust God in our finances, but, but that's one of the ways we look like God. So 164 people giving for the first time is tremendous, not, not because of the, the money, but because it transforms who they are as a person, and it transforms their heart, and it transforms their life. And, and the Bible says where our treasure is, there our heart will be. Your heart will wind up where, where, wherever you place value. Where, why do you teach your children to give? Because you want their heart to wind up in the kingdom of God, right? That's why I teach my kids to give, not because I need their money. Their money comes from me. Are you with me? I give them the money and then tell them to tithe on it. I don't need them. Are you with me? And, and so, so many times people are missing out on the kingdom of God because we just haven't learned the simple act of obedience and faith of trusting God by giving. So we do celebrate that. We also had a hundred new owners. We have, we have owners at Pathway. Some churches have members, um, but we're not a club. We're a kingdom and we are joint heirs and co-heirs with Christ and we have been given an unshakable kingdom. So for us, this is about owning, right? This is about our place as sons and stewarding. We didn't join a club. Are you with me? And so we always say that, that, that members have rights, but owners have responsibilities. And so 100 new owners in this last year. Uh, we started live streaming in this last year. We've started our first outreach team that's going monthly out into our community to minister and give hope and life. 
We're hosting our first student conference. Uh, we, we opened our first house campus in College Station. We've completed designing the building and we're clearing the land. And all of that's happened in the last year because of God's faithfulness and your generosity and your faith and your tenacious uh, belief in God. And so I just want to celebrate those things. Can you celebrate those things with me today? I mean, those are all things that weren't happening. This all all because of our eyes. And then let me give you a financial update. Now, this is also on, on, on the single printed piece that, that you have uh, in that packet, but, but I'll put this up there. And, and that is this. This is, this is simple math. If you like simple math, if you like really complicated math, I can send you to our stewardship team and they can give you spreadsheets for days. Um, but you will need someone to explain it just like I do. But I like simple math. And so over the last 12 months, uh, you as a, as, as a people have given almost, look at that, almost $3.5 million. And so that's how many thought that was possible. Very few people probably thought that was possible. And so we celebrate that. And then uh, we have given away to outreach over the last 12 months, 199,000 and some changes. So we thank God for that. That's the lifeblood of any church is outreach. Um, and then, so what did that mean we had towards our building? Well, we ended up with $2.2 million after we paid all the bills and, and, and did all the outreach. We were able to put away $2.2 million, almost $2.3 million for our building. Now we have spent some of that and we had some other funds on hand that we have spent. Uh, so just so you know, just getting through all the, what they call the, the, the building documents and design documents and all of that's about a half a million dollars. And then you got to pay the civil engineers and then you got to pay all the permits and, and all of that. And so we've spent about six or $700,000 so far, but we still have on hand $1.8 million, $1.8 million on hand. If you're wondering that is cash in the bank. Um, and so that is what we're working with right now. That's what's paying for everything that's going on. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, Pastor, if you have $1.8 million, we're good. Well, the building's $8 million. And, and, um, and so 1.8 is a good place to start. 25% is a good place to start. Amen. I mean, that's, that's more of a down payment than most people have, but we're not planning on getting a note. And so we're not planning on borrowing anything. And so we have to have it all now, just so you know, because you may be thinking, well, man, if you got 1.8 million, I don't need to give for a while. Um, at our current burn rate, we will be out of money in three months because now we're in construction and it gets really expensive, right? And so, so we will be stopping in three months if we don't have a miracle. Are you with me? Um, because I'm, I'm not going to sign for $6 million. I don't want to owe $6 million. I don't want to leave debt on the next generation. And for what God's called us to do, we, we, we believe that the borrower is subject the lender. And I'm okay being subject the kingdom of God and the Lord and the king of all kings. But I don't want to be subject to ABC Bank. Are you with me? I don't want to serve them. I'll serve God, but I don't want to serve them. And so I'm okay if we have to stop. I, I would rather us not. But this is where we as a family have to come together. Now, what is our current need? All right, Our current need is that we need another $2 million by August. If we have $2 million by August, we can put the building up and we can dry it in completely. And then all of that is safe, if you will. And then we'll go to work on the inside of the building for a while, which will be fun, right? And so what we need is $2 million by August. Is everybody with me on that? And so, so part of, of this Arise reboot process, which was the plan all along, 
um, was to come back to our church and celebrate. This is what we've accomplished so that you're in the know. We will, by the way, I will try. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm a pastor. Um, and so I don't ever think about money. That's Pastor Mark's job. Um, I usually just ask him if we have money. And if we have money, I get up and preach. And if we don't have money, I go pray. It's just those two things that I do. Um, and so I'm not always good at trying to tell you what we need to do. But I've made a discipline that once a month, I'm going to update you on where we're at. Um, we'll do some updates via social media. If you're not on social media, it'd be a good time to join our Facebook page or Instagram or whatever we have out there. Um, be social with us. Amen. But anyways, uh, we'll be doing up, up updates. And and uh, you. by the way, our social media is fantastic. We have a young lady who, who is in charge of that. And, and she does a phenomenal job keeping you in the know if you're on social media and, so, and making it fun. And so if you're not on social media, you're probably missing a blessing anyway. But I'll give you updates uh, and keep you posted. But this is where, this is the gauntlet we have to run. Are you guys ready to run it? Now, here's the thing. If we can run this gauntlet, We'll be moving in in 16 months. Right. So by our 10th birthday, we can celebrate it in our new facility. Are you with me? And so we have to get after it um, and trust God, be tenacious. Uh, but I believe, I believe God's going God's to take care of us. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be celebrating the faithfulness of God. I'm going to be preaching from the book of Joshua like I will in just a minute. I'm very excited. I love the book of Joshua. But at the end of three weeks, here's what we're asking. We put, we put an Arise one-year commitment card in everyone's packet because we're already one year in. We have one year to go. Are you with me? And so, and so we put this in here, and here's why I'm going to ask that every person fill this out. And, and you may say, well, I filled one out last year. I know, I know you did, and I want to celebrate that so many in our church filled one out and have been giving faithfully, and that's why we've been able to get as far as we are. You know, what I always say, and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but if you're here and you don't give financially, you need to find an owner and those who do and thank them, because this morning your children are bouncing on funds that they gave, you're sitting on funds that they gave, you're enjoying the air conditioner paid for by funds that they gave, you drank coffee because they provided, so you need to thank those. Can we just thank those who give financially, um, who understand that? And, and, um, but the reason we're asking you to fill this out, here's a couple things. Number one is we want to know if anything's changed. And so we're asking you down at the bottom. And by the way, in the, in the small print, if you're scared about small print, let me just tell you what small print says. This is not legally binding. We can't repossess your car if you don't give in the offering, okay? So you are free. Like, like we're not going to come knocking. We're not sending Guido to your house to collect. Are you with me? All right. But down at the bottom, it says this commitment is either new, affirming, or increasing. Now, here's what we found. So many of our church family have told us over the last, really, 12 months, but especially the last six months, hey, we're going to be able to give more than what we first thought we'd be able to give. In fact, that's mine and, and Julie's story. We're going to be able to give more than what we committed, and what we committed was a nice luxury car, essentially. So it wasn't like we committed $5, and now we can give 10 No, 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 no. We, we committed quite a bit. Um, but we're going to be able to, because God has so blessed us that we're going to be, listen, we can, um, we can actually give more without even straining. Now, when we wrote down the number, it was impossible. And now it's easy. So that tells me we got to write down a new number because you think that the church uses the money to build the building, but I think God uses the offering to build your faith. 
And so, so here's what we're asking. If, if number one, if you weren't with us last year, we would, I'm, I'm asking everyone in our church to make a commitment, right? Uh, everyone make a commitment and, 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 and join us in this and let God do something in your life in faith. But number two, if, if you made a commitment and you're like, Hey, we're staying the same. We're good where we're at. We're trusting God. Then fill it out the same way and put affirming. Right? Affirming. I'm affirming what we did last year, and now you'll know you have half of whatever you committed to last year. So it'll be one half this year, and there's a little place to do the math. But then some of you may be like me, and you say, hey, I'm going to increase what I'm giving. And so we'd want you to mark that as that's increasing what you're giving. And we use this tool called the giving ladder. And so I'm going to have them put this up there, but it's, it's right here on your commitment card. But this is a tool uh, for us in discipleship. Uh, and let me give you these. So the bottom where we all start is a potential giver, meaning we could give to the kingdom of God, but we are not giving for whatever the reason. Maybe we haven't figured out it's a part of our discipleship. Maybe we've never really prayed about it and asked God. Maybe we've never studied the word to see what it says about giving and how God wants to increase us and the supernatural effects of giving to the kingdom of God. And so we're not giving because we just don't have that revelation. And then we kind of come to a revelation and an emerging giver is somebody that gives a little bit here and there. Maybe it's, you know, 50 dollars here or a hundred dollars there or twenty five dollars here and we celebrate that we celebrate anytime we're giving to the kingdom because where where our treasure is there our heart is amen but but listen we want to make sure we get our treasure there because twenty five dollars is probably not your treasure right your, your six hundred dollar a month boat payment might be Nothing wrong with having a payment or on a boat if that's your jam, but I'm just saying, let's figure out where our treasure is, right? Because the goal is to get our treasure into the kingdom uh, and not just tip the king. Um, and so emerging giver is, is where we start. That's, and we celebrate that because that's where we begin our journey. Uh, and then we move up consistent giver. And consistent giver is, is where we are now giving consistently. Maybe it's $200 a month. Maybe it's $200 a paycheck. Maybe it's $500, whatever it is. But now we're we're give, we've caught a vision here, and we've, we're starting to understand now we're giving. And then there's tithe giver. Now, I have to warn you that according to Jesus, this is where the ladder is supposed to start. According to Jesus. And you can, you can read because people say, well, if Jesus told me to tithe, I would. He did. He said, you should tithe. Those are his words. You should tithe. And people say, well, but he only said that once. How many times do you want to tell your children to do something? I'm just saying, don't shoot me, shoot Jesus. He said it. I'm just quoting him, right? And so he said, you should tie. So to him, this is, this is where we begin, but sometimes we can't get there. So we'll celebrate every step along the way, man. But this is where I give the first 10%. That's what the tithe is. It's the first. And by the way, the tithe has supernatural power. This is where supernatural power starts when you read. This is where windows of heaven open, blessings are poured out. Um, you, you begin to increase more and more. Your, your vats, according to Proverbs, Solomon burst out with new wine. Your barns burst out. There's something supernatural at the tithe level, and we want everybody to get to the tithe level. We'll celebrate any step you want to take, but we're praying you get to the tithe level. Now, extravagant giver is, that's where I am. That's where a lot of our church are, but that's, that's where we give more than 10%. So we believe we start at 10% and then we give offerings above 10%. And so we'd love to see everybody extravagant giver, but I'd love to give everybody a tithe giver. But here's what I'm, here's all I'm asking you to do. 
And, and this is my no pressure sales pitch because I'm not even good at raising money. It's not what I'm called to do, right? Here's what I would say. Why don't you just go ask God where you're supposed to be on this ladder? Because I have faith that if you'll ask God, he'll give you a better answer than I can. Right. I'm going to put my faith on him. And, and here's here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go old school. All right. Old school, late 80s, early 90s. Well, late 80s on you. I'm going to double dog dare you. <laughs> well, double dog dare you just just to go ask God where you need to be on the ladder. Don't ask me. Don't reason with it. Don't use your mind. Don't write it off. And, and here's what I would say. And, and, I, and I'm going to say this very sweetly and then I'm going to move on. If you're in this room and you're saying, I'm not going to pray about that, then you may have a, a, a greater sickness in your heart than you realize if you're not even willing to pray about it. And I'm not trying to say that ugly, but I'm here because I'm more worried about your heart than your money. I'll be fine. Believe it or not, I don't work on commission. And you, if you don't give anything, it's not going to change what happens in my life, right? I, I don't even know that it will change what God does because I think God's going to do what God's going to do. But, but God gives us an opportunity to partner with him and be increased in faith. And I'm so glad every time I've partnered with him and let God increase me in faith. And it's, it's sacrificial, but I do it, right? And so here's what I would say is if you're sitting here like, I'm not even going to pray about this right here. If you're a pathway person, now if you're a guest, we just thank God you're here and don't worry about it. Unless you, want, unless you feel like God's calling you to, praise God. But I'm talking to pathway people. If you're a pathway person, you say, this is my church. I'm just asking, will you pray and ask God where you're supposed to be? And if you did it last year, will you do it one more time? And you say, well, you think God changed his mind? Maybe so. He changed his mind in the Bible. He doesn't change who he is, change his mind. He's going to kill Israel, remember, until Moses said, don't do it. And God said, okay. So God may have something bigger. Maybe, maybe God knew he, if, he, if he told you the whole enchilada last year, it freaked you out. So he gave you the first part and he's about to give you the second part. I just want you to pray about it. Amen. Will you do that? All right, so, so that gets us, gets us to God's word, amen? All right, I'm excited. Are you excited to see? So let me tell you this. Here's what we're going to do. On the third week, right, on the third, so this is the first week. The third week uh, is going to be May 12th. On May 12th, we're going we're gonna to take those uh, commitment cards back in, and we're also going to give a miracle offering. And you say, what is a miracle offering? Well, it's an offering because we're believing for a miracle, no, no trick marketing here. I don't know if you, as, as the guy running point out there and looking at what's going on and, and looking at the budget, we need a miracle. So we're going to give and believe God for a miracle, not only in our church, but in individual lives. And so I want you to pray about participating in the miracle offering. And I want you to name your seed. And we miss this sometimes, but we sow seed. And I don't know about you, but when, when, when we planted a garden as a kid, we didn't just go find seeds and throw them out there. We said, no, we like to eat corn and maters. That's tomatoes. And so we would get seed that had the name of the harvest that we wanted. And we can do this in the kingdom of God. And so if you need a miracle in your life, I'm going to encourage you to name your seed and bring it on that third weekend and sow it with your new commitment card. And we're going to push this thing as hard as we can. Then we're going to watch God do breakthrough uh, and miracles in all of our lives. Amen. All right. Are you ready for God's word? Turn with me to Joshua chapter one, Joshua chapter one. And we're going to be in the book of Joshua over the next few weeks. And I love the book of Joshua. 
And today, um, I'm, I'm going at this series a little bit differently in that I even told the staff this. Um, I know that sometimes I'm amusing. And it's the way God made my personality. I can be very, very funny and, and uh, entertaining at times. This is my reputation. Um, but I said, over the next few weeks, I'm not going to preach in, I'm, I'm not going to preach in a normal way as best I know how. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back and we're going to have some conversation uh, because I don't want you to miss the reality of what I'm saying um, by, by my persona. Does that make sense? I, I don't want to detract from the truth of God because sometimes I can be entertained when I when I speak. It just, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just want you to hear what God has to say. So I'm just going to tell you, and, and then we're going to digest it together. Are you with me? And so Joshua chapter one, um, so here's, here's how it works. God speaks to a man named Abraham, and he says, I want to raise up a spiritual nation of people, my possession, my treasure through you. And we fast forward, and God does just that. And then uh, there's a famine, and this is in Joseph, the days of Joseph of the Bible. Most people understand the patriarchs, so you understand Joseph. Uh, during his time, uh, there's a famine, and, and all of Israel comes to stay in Egypt. And there's a long story how God worked that out. But then they end up multiplying and increasing. The Egyptians get scared and enslave them, and they're slaves for about 400 years. And then God sends a man named Moses, this is burning bush Moses, to deliver them and he leads them out, and it takes two years to get from Egypt to the Jordan River, which was the boundary of the promised land, and they come to the Jordan, but the people don't trust God, and they end up stuck in the wilderness because of their disobedience for 38 more years at Kadesh Barnea, um, where they're just basically just in a circle, right? They're just not going anywhere, and then we fast forward through that 38 years, and Moses dies, and now we have a new leader named Joshua. And this is where we start the book of Joshua, about 400 BC. Joshua was about 20 years old when they left Egypt. Um, he's about 60 years old when he takes over uh, leadership of Israel and he will lead them into the promised land and be their leader for about 50 years old for about 50 years until he dies. And so this is where we start Joshua chapter one, verse one, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, I look this now, therefore, Arise. Yeah. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do According to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn to it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." 
Have I, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? You think he's trying to get a point across? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go p- take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Amen. Boy, I love that. Be strong and courageous. I've gotten so many encouraging words from people in our church uh, through, through really, it amazes me. Uh, a lot of people will send me an email or they'll pass me a, a piece of paper and they'll have a verse from Joshua chapter one in it. They'll say, God put this on my heart. God put this on my heart. God put this on my heart. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And I just want to say right now, I just want to say to somebody here, be strong and courageous. Because as he was with Moses, so he's going to be with you. And God's going to lead you into whatever he's promised you. Amen. Um, my message title is a little bit different out of this passage because it's a question. And it's just a question that I want to answer for, for each of us. Um, and we were in a, we have a pastor's meeting once a month where all the pastors come in and it's just me and the pastor's. And uh, we talk about the pastoring. Um, it's kind of our senior team, but we talk about ministry and, and spiritual direction, um, and, and we p- solve problems. And we were in a pastor's meeting, and we conferenced in uh, Jacob, who leads our house campus and college station, and we're working on strategy to expand there. And, and uh, Pastor Mark asked a question. It's a question. It's the why question. We, we typically start with why. But he was asking the question to say, as we're expanding, we need to ask ourselves why and then what. And, and he, he asked this question in that meeting and he said, what are we doing here? And it wasn't in a negative way. It was just like, we need to answer, this is the question we need to answer. What are we doing here? And when he said it, it resonated in my heart. I said, I want to do a whole series called What Are We Doing Here? Because I'm not sure church people always know what we're doing here. And I don't mean like necessarily what is Pathway doing here, but what are you doing here? And I think that because well-meaning people have taught us religion, that you may be here because you think you're supposed to go to church once a week or once a month or once every two months. I don't know. Um, Now they tell us that you're considered a a, a church attender, um, a consistent church attender, someone that goes to church every one one out of four to five weeks. And that tells me that people have a disconnection between what church is really about and why they're actually supposed to be there. And that to me is a leadership issue. That's not a people issue. We haven't explained to them what they're doing here. And they think they're just here because of a really, well, at church, as church people, we go to church, you know, at least once a month when we can, or like to go on Easter and Christmas and we can work a few in there in between then praise God. We're, and, and, these, and people are really committed to Jesus. Not that they're not Christians. It's that they're disconnected from what church is really about, which to me falls on the leadership of the church, not on the people. We haven't explained to people what they're doing here. And, and so to me, when he said that, I thought, I'm, I'm going to preach on what we're doing here. That's how I'm going to start Arise. Uh, arise. And, and so can we just, can we pray? Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, so much for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, Paul prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. That was his prayer. That, that a spiritual kingdom can't be naturally discerned. And so God, for what I'm about to share, I need people's eyes and ears of their hearts to be enlightened. 
God, I just pray you'd remove all religiosity and all religious concepts and let us get kingdom concepts from the king by his spirit so that we really, when we leave here today, we can answer this question, what are we doing here? And we can answer it based on your truth and your, your intent and, and not what religion may have taught us, not maybe what we've understood, but it would go deeper. And so, God, let your, heart, let your word pierce our hearts, even dividing soul and spirit. God, give us life and power by it. In Jesus' name, amen. What are we doing here? I, just, I wanted just two points, believe it or not, two points. And the first one is, is this, is that we are called to expand a kingdom, not just attend church services. Now, for some of you, that may make sense. And for others of you, you're like, okay, unpack that. And, and this, is, this is where I think we have to start. Look, look at Joshua 1, verse 2. You see, we have to understand, Israel, all they've known for 40 years is the leadership of Moses. And Moses was the one that divided the Red Sea, right? Moses is the one that would go talk to God and God would give them quail and manna. Moses is the one that, that would speak to, you know, strike a rock and, and water would come out of it. And so Moses is the one that, that brought the miracles of their deliverance. So turning the water into blood and, and the plague of the frogs, all of that was equated to Moses. And so the people have all seen God's power at work through Moses' life. But now they're on the border of, of their promise and their leader is actually dead. Um, he didn't die of anything. God just simply took him. God actually buried him and performed the funeral and no one knows really where Moses is, right? God says it's time. And, and it was really based on Moses' own disobedience is why he couldn't also go into the promised land. By the way, I know we're under grace, but everything in the Old Testament is a picture. We are under grace, but disobedience always keeps us from promise right? Um, disobedience may not keep us from the presence of God, but it will keep us from the promise of God. You could write that down because it's not in my notes. It's very good. And so anyways, um, and so Moses isn't able to go in. Um, and so now Joshua's in charge and they knew Joshua, he was a good assistant pastor, right? But now he's, he's, he's the head chief. He's the, he's the guy in charge. And I'm sure they're sitting here a little bit shaken. Like, what are we doing? Cause now we're ready to go in and God took our leader from us. And now Josh was in charge, but he didn't part a red sea. He, he didn't turn the water into blood. He didn't give us manna and quail. And so I'm sure that they're asking, what are we doing here? And God answers, be strong and courageous. And then he tells them in verse two, he says, now arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people into the land or into the promise. In other words, God says, here's what we're doing. We have a strategy and a plan to get the people into the promise. And ultimately, in a way, that's still what we're doing. It's always, look, if you take Bible from cover to cover, it is always about God's people possessing a land. It is about God's people possessing a promise that where it starts and where it ends is about a spiritual family of people who, who actually rule over a natural land. Some of you didn't know. You thought we were trying to get to heaven. And that's because you've been misinformed. 
that is not the, the, the end game, pun intended, but that is not the end game of what the word of God even tells us. That, that our goal here is not to get to heaven. Let me show you. All right. In, in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, and this is where we get really a lot of what we do out of this, because this is God's first commission, right? I think there's a, a commission, but this is the first mission or commission with Adam. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the, over the earth. Okay. Over creation. Let us make man. So we get our four B's because at pathway, we say, this is God's plan for everybody. He wants you to believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple and build God's kingdom. If you walked in here and you have no idea what God wants for your life, he wants you to believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple and build God's kingdom. It comes out of this. So let us make man to believe in us, right? Um, in our image, that means he belongs, he looks like us, after our likeness to become like us and let them have dominion, let him rule like us. So, so that is what we believe every person is called to. I can show you that in the Great Commission as well, but I think that's what, that is God's intent, right? And that is his purpose, that is his design. All of it is revealed right there in Genesis one twenty six. Now, I know you're saying, yeah, but they fail. And so then if you're telling me that Adam's sin caused God a change of plans, we have made sin more powerful than God. So sin didn't change any of God's plan, and it doesn't change how this ends up. Right. Revelation 21 says, now, if you're one of those that think, oh, we're just supposed to, we're just biding our time on this earth until we go to heaven. If you're one of those that believes that because you've been taught that, let me help you. That is not how this ends. Revelation 21 says, John said, I looked and behold, a new Jerusalem was coming down and God's dwelling place was now with men on earth. That the way this all culminates and even terminates in a way is with God and man ruling, or man under God ruling over the earth. The same way God set it up in Genesis 1.28. When it says, let us make man, that word there is not Adam. That word is actually plural. It is actually mankind. So he is now talking about you, not Adam. So in, in Genesis 1.26, when God got this thing going, he was talking about you and he was saying he wanted you to do something. And then he said this, he wanted you to be made in his image after his likeness. And he wanted you to have dominion. That word in the Hebrew is actually the word kingdom. That God wanted you man to have kingdom over the creation. That that is what you were purposed created and still called to do that. He wants you to have kingdom over the creation that that is God's heart for you. Now, the reason I prayed in the beginning that, that you would hear me with the eyes of your heart and the ears of your heart is because unfortunately we have been taught so much about earth and religion is an institution of earth. Jesus did not die for a religion. Jesus did not start a religion. In fact, the only people that didn't like Jesus were religious people. Jesus, and I don't mean this in a bad way. If this offends you, just let it, let it, let it heal you. Jesus is anti-religion. Because Jesus would tell you religion kills. Why? Because religion teaches you behaviors and calls it righteousness. 
when Jesus gives you a spirit of adoption to create you into righteous sons. And so, so we're not talking about behaving. We're talking about identity. If you get the identity right, behavior follows, right? But you can't get an identity out of rules. Right? And so, and so here's, God said, I want you to have kingdom. Now, now here's the thing. When, when we misunderstand the difference between rulership and worship, we'll think coming to church is about worship. When it's really about rulership. He didn't say, let us make man in our image according to our likeness that they could sit around and worship. Now, before, well, we had worship. Yes, yes, yes. We are supposed to worship God because we become like what we behold. We're not worshiping God to make him happy. We're worshiping God to make us holy. Are, are you with me? This may be the greatest message I've ever preached, and I'm trying to not even preach. I found a new secret. We're not worshiping God to make him happy. We're worshiping us to make us holy. But we were created not for worship. God doesn't need your worship. He has angels sitting around his throne, and they've been worshiping for all eternity. And they're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, right? And so God, God is, is not like, he, he's not one of those people that, that's so narcissistic and on such an ego trip that he would create a race of people because he wants them to worship him. No, worship is a gift he's given us because we're transformed by it. Hallelujah. Worship is for you, not for God. Amen. Are you with me? So having said that, this is about lordship. Let them have dominion, lordship. So the plan of God from the beginning was to create a people, a spiritual people, who would lord or rule with him over the earth. And he gives them authority in his words, take dominion, and he gives them power by his breath or by his spirit. Authority and power to go, to, to go rule. Are, are, are you following along? So when, 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 when we look at what God wants on the earth, it's very simple. He wants heaven's realities to become earth's realities. How do I know? Because when they said, Jesus, how should we pray? The first thing Jesus put on the list, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, what is it that God wants? His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven's realities. How should we pray? Your kingdom come. Believe it or not, this is not just something we sing at weddings. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus, how should we pray? That everybody should go and have a good church service. See, now if you're sitting here saying, well, we're at church. Church is the means to the end. And that's what I need you to understand. Jesus went to church. He did. But, but he went to church to teach about the kingdom. Are you with me? And so when we're talking about church, and we call them experiences. Somebody said, why do you call them experiences? Because that's what we want you to have. We want you to have an experience with Jesus. Not, we don't want you to come to a church service. That, that, it sounds so religious in our culture. And, and we'll mark, we'll check that off. Like I went to a church service. Woo! That's it, not even the point. The point is 
Did you come have an encounter? Did you have an experience with Jesus that changed your life? It's all about your expectations so many times. Are you expecting to have a good church service? Are you expecting Jesus to, to rock your, your mind and your heart and your will and your mode to wreck you in a way that changes and transforms you? I think that's why people leave the same way. They come to have a church service, so, you know, like, well, I went to that, marked it off my list, and you never engage with the Holy Spirit while you're here, and we want you to engage with Him. That's why we have prayer experiences. We don't want to have prayer meetings. We have enough meetings. We want to experience the supernatural power of God. So, so Jesus' message, when he starts preaching in Matthew 4, 17, he says this, and, and he says, from that time, so Jesus begins his ministry, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice he didn't say, hey, I need everybody to go to church. Now, did he go to church? Yes. But was that the end no, it was the means thereby. Like we come to church to understand the kingdom, to be bathed in the presence, to be purified in our hearts, to be transformed, right? To behold him, right? Not to make him happy, to make us holy. And then we go out to do kingdom. And I'll talk about what that looks like in just a minute. If you're like, I don't know how to go do kingdom. Thank God I'm here. I'll tell you, I'll explain it. Okay. This is my job, right? But Jesus preached about the kingdom of God has come in the 15th century. That word has come means has arrived. So, so when we get the King James Version in English from the Greek text, here's what Jesus' message was. The kingdom of God has arrived. Why? Because he was here. Because the spirit of God was here because he was anointed by the spirit of God, right? And so the kingdom is always in the spirit and the spirit of God was now here again, right? And so Jesus said, here is, here is the kingdom. So then he tells his followers, go heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, preach the kingdom, preach the kingdom. Same thing he told you to do. Yeah. Believe it or not, the Great Commission is not go to church services. I think we have a lot of people thinking they're fulfilling what God has asked them to do because they went to eight church services last year. And I applaud that, but I'm trying to tell you there's something more. Yeah. Like, good on you, but there's something deeper. There's something, and quite frankly, something a lot more powerful. Because Jesus said, Matthew 28, it says, look at this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, right? Here we have that authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. Verse 20 says, teaching them. Here's where we missed it. We've taught them to do church. And Jesus said, teach them about the kingdom. Please hear what I'm saying. We have taught people how to dress in church, how to act in church, how to be church people, how to put a fish on the back of their, back of their car. Right? We taught them how to read the Bible through in a year. We just didn't tell them that, that this isn't a textbook for religion. This right here is the constitution of a kingdom. We have tons of pastors being turned out every year. Here's what's said. I went to Bible school that I never had one class on the kingdom of God. And it's the only message Jesus preached. Now I can hermeneutic and homiletic 
And I took apart the books of Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and put them back together. And I studied the gospels and, and the life and ministry of Jesus. And all of that's good. No one ever told me, though, that this is a constitution of a kingdom because a king wanted to set up his dominion on an earth. And he wanted to do that through his created people who were made in his likeness and image. So he gave them authority. And so Jesus, remember, God doesn't change his plan. So God said, Adam, go subdue and take dominion. And Jesus comes back and says, all authority, there's that authority word, has been given to me. Now go and preach the good news of what? The kingdom of God, that it is here. And then remember, we need authority and power. So he said, before you go preach, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. The same breath that gave Adam the power to subdue and take dominion has given us anointing to go subdue and take dominion. It comes full circle. Like this is what God's trying to do. Are you, are you understanding? This is what you're called to, is that you are called not to attend church services. You are called to increase God's rule over this planet. Like you are called to do that. That is what you are anointed to do. That is what you are designed to do. That is what you are destined to do. Are, are you with me? Here's the second thing. Write this down. A spiritual kingdom can't be naturally built. We have done so good at learning earth that now we do church earth's way. We do. We, we, we know all the principles of growing an organization. I've had people tell me, you know, Pastor, I, you know, as, you know, in conversation, they're like, you know, here's, here's what I think you know, about your church, you know, remember you, you need 18 minutes of worship and 32 minutes of a message and you need to get people out in 65 minutes. This is the secret to how you grow it. And, and you need to use props and illustrations and, and, you know, don't take them too deep. Just give them some self-help gospel. This is what works all around the world. And what I've said is for who? For who does that work? Because I think I'm applying, and nothing wrong if that's what churches do, but I'm not them. That's not what I've been called to do. And to me, this is a spiritual journey where, where we're supposed to be engaging and encountering the presence of God and being transformed and empowered to go out and have dominion. Not go out motivated to, to be happy another week. Right? God really is more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. By the way, happiness is your responsibility, not God's. Somebody said, those people stole my joy. You should have built a bigger fence because joy is your responsibility. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He didn't say, hey, pray that God will help you with joy. He said, no, you rejoice. You'll have joy. So, so it can't be, so this is Joshua 1.8. This is what I laugh about. Now you would think they are getting geared up to go into the land, right? And there, there are, there are armies, right? Uh, all the promised land was inhabited. They had like little city states of all different kinds of people. That's where the Hittites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites. I mean, they all had their towns. They, they weren't together. They were like little individual city states. 
of all these different people who were not God's people. So it's not like they're going into a vacant land. In fact, God says, I want to drive them out just a little at a time because otherwise the land will become too much for you. See, God will actually use the enemies you haven't drawn out that you haven't driven. This is so good. God will actually use the enemies you haven't driven out yet to maintain your promise for you until you have faith to take it. I'm going to say that again because it was that good. God will actually use the enemies you haven't driven out yet to maintain your promise for you until you have faith enough to take it. What do you say? The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the... He's just waiting for somebody to have faith so he can make a transfer. Right now, you got somebody else managing your money. <laughs> Anyways... So they're getting ready to go. And you would think that God would say, okay, let me, let me tell you how the, how the weapons are made. Like you need to forge iron into swords and you need to get your bows and your arrows and you need to get your spears and here's some battle strategy and you need helmets and breastplates because you were all slaves and, and now you've just been in the wilderness. So now you got to get ready for battle. So you would think that God would give them natural weapons and he doesn't. Joshua 1.8, this is the weapon God gave them for success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Notice it didn't say coffee table, bookshelf. It said mouth. The word of God is only as good as the people who know it. But you shall meditate in it day and night so that you're careful to do all that is written in it. There's so much in this verse. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When will I prosper and succeed naturally? I have to do it with a supernatural plan. And notice he said, be careful to do all that. Listen, I can't do life my way and expect God's blessings. It so amazes me the amount of people nowadays because of grace and they understand enough to be dangerous about grace and they feel like they can live their way and expect the blessings of God. And what he said, no, 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 you have to meditate on the word. So then you actually be, know it and do it. And when you know it and do it, then you'll prosper and have success. Notice he didn't say he would make you prosper. He said, no, you would prosper. Why? Because his word is in you. And so when they get ready to take the land, listen, God gives them the spiritual strategy so that they can have natural success. Can I, can I just say something right here? You cannot live by the principles of earth and expect the power of heaven. You cannot live by the principles of earth and expect the power of heaven. And we have so many, and I don't mean it in a bad way because people are doing what they've been taught, what they've been shown, whatever the case may be. But we have so many people that are living earth's way through the church and expecting to see the power of God. And it doesn't work that way. They're living their way and expecting to see the blessing. They're like, well, this doesn't work for me. You didn't work it. The word works when you work the word. Are you with me? And, and, and so we have to understand that, that God actually arms them with spiritual weapons for natural success. Please hear what I'm saying. Like in your marriage, in your finances, in your family, in your business, God has given you spiritual weapons for natural success, not natural weapons. 
And that's what he gives them here. He gives them the sword of the spirit. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But he gives them the word of God. Right? Jesus said, my words are life. Right? They are life. They, 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 they do something supernatural. Are you with me? And, and so, so when we talk about spiritual weapons, this is what Paul told the Corinthians. For, for we walk, this is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, look at this, we don't wage war according to the flesh. Do you see that? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power for destroying strongholds. We're, we're in a spiritual battle the same way they were. It plays out in a physical realm, but it's in a spiritual realm. It started in the spiritual realm, just plays out in the physical realm. Are you with me? Paul said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers. And here's, here's how I know we miss this. You can succeed in your vocation, but you think you're fighting your boss. You can succeed in your marriage, but you think you're fighting your husband. You're wrestling with flesh and blood and expecting to win. And Paul said, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places. And then we have authority over them. You may not have authority over your boss, but you have, this, you have authority over the spirit driving it. Are, are you with me? And so we have these spiritual weapons like prayer, Ephesians 6, worship. Remember King Jehoshaphat? They got ready. They, the Moabites had come against them. Moab had come against them, and, and they didn't think they could win, but they sent the worshipers out, and, and the enemies just destroyed themselves. Remember Paul and Silas? They were in Philippi and thrown in prison for preaching the gospel, and at midnight, they just started worshiping, and, and they were set free by the earthquake, by the power of God. Are, are you with me? So worship is, is one of our, our weapons. Then we have the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4 says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. That's a direct reference to the restoration of Israel and the building of the temple, right? Then, then we have the blood of Jesus. And we don't talk about the blood anymore because people don't know what it is, but it's the blood of Jesus. And he said, I didn't know that was a weapon. Well, Revelation says we overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's two weapons, the blood and the sword of the spirit or our testimony, the word of God in our mouths. Are you with me? And so, so we live in, in this natural world, but we don't wage war according to this natural world. We have weapons, right? And so we can't live by the principles of earth and expect the power of heaven. Um, Matthew 12, 28 talks about Jesus, and it gives this picture of what it is to, to, to increase. This is one picture of how it is to increase or expand the kingdom. So if you're sitting here saying, well, how do I increase? How do I expand the kingdom? If it's not church attendance, what do I do? Okay, here it is. Jesus said this. He said, but if it's by the, he had cast a demon out of someone. He said, but if it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, look at this, then the kingdom of God has come near you. It has arrived. Same word. So, so this is what it looks like. What's God's desire? Heaven's reality becomes earth's realities. And Jesus said, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I created a collision between heaven and earth and heaven one. So now this is about a spiritual influence over a natural realm. And, and you're saying, well, the, the way we expand the kingdom is cast out demons only when you need to. And of course, some of you are like, there are demons. Yeah, you should get a new Testament. Um, I don't have time to teach that sermon, but you should get a new Testament because they're still here. And if you don't believe me, then go on a mission trip. They're easier to find there. Here they get sneaky and hide in churches. But over there, you know, that I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. 
sometimes. Um, and so I wanted to say, if you don't believe in demons, let me, let me bring you on staff for a week. Um, and, and cause they have a tendency to find us. Um, and so anyways, um, <laughs> but, um, he said, if I, by the spirit of God cast out demons. So, so what is it? It's we're supposed to spiritually influence a natural realm. Spiritually influence, in other words, influenced by the power of God's spirit. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, whatever town or city you go into, if they are, and he used the word worthy, that means if they're receptive, right? If they will receive you, he said, let your peace. Literally, he gives this picture of you put your peace there and you can leave it, but if they won't receive it, you pick it back up and take. What is he talking about? He's talking about the culture of heaven, which is through the Spirit of God. The kingdom is in the Spirit, right? The kingdom of God is not what you eat, Paul said, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy. So there's the atmosphere of the kingdom of God, righteousness, peace, and joy. By the way, there's a progression. You can't have peace until you're righteous, and you can't have joy until you have peace and righteousness. So he gives us progression that Jesus makes us righteous by faith. Then I can have peace. He's the Prince of Peace. And then I can have joy. So he says, righteousness, peace, and joy in what? In the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I cast out demons, by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Spirit. So we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in us and on us and moving through us. So we are supposed to spiritually influence. This is what we do in our marriages. We spiritually influence our marriages. We spiritually influence our relationships. We, We spiritually influence our vocation. In other words, the way that we do life looks different from everyone on earth. Are, are you, are you with me on that? Um, we, 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 first of all, the way we go about it, love and joy and peace, right? There shouldn't be hatred. That's why every time uh, Christians get up and start, start speaking bad against any different group of people, whether it's homosexuality or, or, or even uh, Muslims or whatever, don't you know the nations are given as our inheritance? Why would I want to curse Muslims? They're my inheritance. You see what I'm saying? Why, why, do I, why do I want to get outraged about homosexuality and, and all of that? And then say, well, they're, they're, that's, that's, to God it's abomination. I understand that's a scripture, but, but God's called us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And, like, well, and you say, well, what about the people that, 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 that profess to be homosexuals and still be Christians? They're part of religion, not a kingdom. I don't have to worry about that. They've bought into a religious idea. I'm talking about a kingdom. Because in a kingdom, the law is set by the king. It's not voted on by the people. Are you, are you with me? It's not a democracy in the kingdom. So once he says this is right and this is wrong, that's the way it is. And people that don't adhere to that, well, they'll answer to the king for that. But, but I'm not worried about them. I'm here to love and, 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 and by grace bring truth. And are, are you hearing what I'm saying? And so it's the way that I go. It's the way I live my life. It's, it's the values. It's the way I run my business. Like if you're a Christian business owner, the way you run your business should look very different than the way someone who doesn't know Christ runs their business. If you're a Christian, the way you run your family should be very different than the way someone who doesn't know Christ runs their family. And let me say it this way. Before you start comparing yourself to your neighbor, compare yourself to Jesus. How would Jesus run the family? What would be the values in your family if Jesus were the head? Because he's supposed to. So, so many times we look at the neighbor, well, I'm doing better than them. I've been to church two times in the last eight weeks. They've only been once. 
Okay, bless your heart. Um, this is where, you know, when you get to heaven, the standard is not Bob. The standard is Jesus, right? Until we all grow up into the fullness that is Christ. Are you with me? And so, so I just want to make sure that we're aiming at the right thing here. And so the way that we do life should be different. It should look different. It should have a different context. And we should stop and pray for people who are struggling. We should give an encouraging word. We should love on people. We should serve people and not try to be served all of the time. Are you with me? That these, this is how you influence a king. You go and preach the gospel and how you do that. You serve people and you love people and you, you embrace the values of the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom. You give like generosity is, is a foundational stone of, of, of the kingdom, right? And so it's about how we give and how we serve and how we love and how we go and how we proclaim and how we talk and how we influence and how we run our families, and how we run our businesses and, and how we are. This is how we influence the kingdom. And it's all based on, on the culture. When he says, I want to fill the earth with the glory of God, you understand he's talking about filling the earth. That word glory there is kabod or weightiness. You could use it this way. That word is culture. I want to fill the earth with the culture of heaven. How do I do that? I fill my people with the culture of heaven. Created in my image and my likeness. By my spirit, I put my culture in them. That's why I said, when you go, take peace. And if they'll receive it, leave it. If not, take it with you. It's the culture of the kingdom. Is this making sense to you? I've done my best. And, And if you want a picture... I'll just give you this one thing. If you want a picture of how this is supposed to look, it's heaven come to earth, right? So earth is a colony of heaven. That's why right now the king's in heaven. The moment the king comes to earth, it's no longer a colony. It's a headquarters. That will happen in Revelation 21. But until then, we're a colony. What is, where do we get the word colony? Colon. What is the colon? It's the thing that, that ultimately connects what goes in my mouth with what comes out of me. It's kind of a grotesque picture, but this is where we get the word. What happened in, in Genesis when Adam fell is the colon was severed. So now what, what the kingdom of God didn't have a way to flow. Jesus came and restored the colon and now said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The same commission that, that Adam was given. Are you with me? And so now we are here to colonize until the king comes back. So we're here to influence what Rome did that no other kingdom did. That's why when it says the fullness of time would come, Jesus came in the air uh, or in the kingdom of the Romans because the Romans were the first to colonize. Instead of capturing people and bringing them to Rome, they would capture people and set up a little Rome in all the land. The Jews were under Roman rule, not because they were in Rome, but because Rome had taken over and colonized them and they were taught how to eat like Romans, how to talk like Romans, how to dress like Romans, how to live like Romans. So Jesus came and set up a colony and said, now go and teach. Teach them how to live like the kingdom, how to talk like the kingdom, how to do finances like the kingdom. Right? We're trying to use earth's principles to do the kingdom of God. It doesn't work. That's why giving so hard for people. Because in earth, if you give it away, it means you don't have it anymore. Like the way you get rich in the earth is you, you, get, you have to be greedy. You have to hang on to everything, invest well, store and save. And I'm not against good investments or storing and saving. The way, you, the way you gain wealth in the kingdom is giving it away. Right? I mean, that's how the kingdom functions. And here we are wondering, why won't God prosper me? Are you doing it his way? All right. I got to be done.
Is that a good word? Is that a word for you? Why don't you? Why don't you stand? Stand with me. If nothing else, I've given you enough to be really confused and try to go figure it out. But we have to understand kingdom. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Just, you know what? Before we do that, I'm so sorry. I want to show you a video of some people that understand this. You can sit back down just for one second. But this video is so good because it's some people that understand. Listen to me. See, let me just say this. That was the first closing. Here's the second closing. Then I'll get to the third closing. You have to be Pentecostal to understand what I just said. But, but I know what I'm doing here. My question for you is, what are you doing here? That's really the question I'm supposed to ask. What are you doing here? Here's some people, members or owners of our church, and they know what they're doing here. Watch this video. We tithe personally, and we have, and we've seen the blessings. We've tithed in times when we didn't have it to give, and we've done that and have been blessed by that. But through the business, I really felt like there was more of a calling. If we're going to say these things and try to live this life, are we going to go the extra mile inside of our business? And fortunately, I have a partner who encourages that, prays into that, offers more wisdom than I deserve. And we really walked through this process where I felt like, what am I supposed to do? What's my obligation? And so I met with my business partner and I said, hey, Here's the deal, I think we need to do this before we know. Before we know what this year looks like. And I said, here's the number I have. And at the time it was a number that hurt a little bit after taxes and the end of the year and we had a budget for this year. And I gave him the number and he said, absolutely. Brother, I'm, I'm glad you came to that conclusion. I want to back off and let you make that decision. And I told our accounting lady and she had a look like, what? You know, and I said, yeah, you're going to get a front row seat in this company to see us continue to stretch ourselves and do these things. And I'd love to tell you that it's going to get easier or more comfortable, but it's not. It's always going to be uncomfortable because we're always going to stretch what the Lord wants to do through this business and in this business. And you're going to get to watch it play out in the finances. She cut the check, and I remember telling her, I need it signed immediately, get it in an envelope, I want it out of our bank account, send it to, to Pathway uh, for a rise. We felt like that's where we were supposed to give that portion. And in less than a month since that time, we've booked millions of dollars of business. We are doing business with customers that I still laugh that they're trusting us with their business in industries that are crazy. Just never thought that I would be there. And that's really been my journey in business is, you know, everything worth doing is really hard and it hurts. But if you really let God work, it's in the hurt that he builds everything you need for the blessings. You have to stretch yourself out of your comfort zone. And I think this is something it's probably a little more natural for me than, than maybe Nicole, but anytime you're going to take steps and anytime you're going to chase your dreams or the things that God has put on your heart, I don't think you're ever going to operate from comfort. 
I just don't think that exists. And I, in business, you know this well, because you can't stop. You grow or you die. And I would tell them, you're going to have to be uncomfortable to really step in to the blessings that God has for you. And you're going to have to reach out. You're going to have to be intentional. That's something that I do. I always seek out wise counsel and people that are interested in things like me. Life groups are a great place to do that. And don't give up if it's not perfect at first. I mean, you got to try. And that means trying more than once sometimes. But I know the heart of this church, and I know the people in this church, and I know what they've done for us and our family. And there is somebody here, multiple somebodies, that can connect with you and help you to walk that out. We, we are, are rising. rising. All right, isn't that good? God's faithfulness. Okay. Now you can stand. <laughs>